Welcome to Nonprofit Thursdays, where we educate, elevate, engage, and encourage nonprofit organizations and the people who love them. From enslavement, the brutality of forced free labor, lynchings, being beaten and hosed for the right to vote, murders in the past and recently, racial reckoning has been an issue. What does all of this mean for the nonprofit sector? My guest today is MSNBC contributor and host of his own daily podcast, Make It Plain. He has participated in every social justice movement since the civil rights era. The Reverend Mark Thompson. Welcome, Mark. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. So good to be here with my longtime friend and so happy for what you're doing and the contribution that you're making to us all. So God bless you, Gatsby. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, what I'm finding, uh, Mark, is that they're the real sincere who are coming out with their statements of solidarity. And then I've seen some others that have taken this as political moments, if you will, and uh, saying a little bit about George Floyd or solidarity, and then going on to talk about their missions, and then to sell some product, and then to even have their donate button there, which I, I find uh, off-putting. But then there are others who are afraid that their donors would be offended if they took a stand. So I, I, I'd love for you to weigh in on uh, a better way of thinking. If one is dealing with donors that they have a fear of offending, um, then it may be a moment also of reckoning within those organizations as to whom their donors are. I think this has been a critical moment for everyone. I think everyone has changed. Um, I mean, I've heard from people who are not African-American um, who would be deemed progressive, but being quarantined at home and Gatsby having to see um, the very vivid images of Ahmaud Arbery uh, and George Floyd. We just don't have video of Breonna Taylor, but when the, ima the imagination is blown, when you describe a black woman shot sleeping in her bed, you really don't need a video. And I had white folks call me allies. I said, Mark, what in the world? You know, I said, but we live this every day. We know this is our reality. They're saying but what in the world to what? To, they can't believe this is happening or uh -huh. this is happening this way. And so I, my response is, um, we, this is our reality. You all are seeing this because you're trapped in the house. And if there were no COVID, this might just be another situation where there's not as much of an outcry. I mean, let's be honest. You know, people were upset about Trayvon Martin and Tamir Rice and Sandra Bland, Michael Brown. But it wasn't what we have seen since COVID. And not just in this country. Around the world, people have been demonstrating. People tearing down Confederate statues here, tearing down uh, uh, former colonial 
advocate statues, King Leopold, uh, uh, Cecil Rhodes. They had to build a, a, a metal box around Winston Churchill to keep the white kids from tearing it down. So if somebody is worried about offending some donors, you must have some donors that are truly out of touch with the rest of the world, you know? And if um, the donors are out of touch, it could be that that nonprofit is out of touch or that leader is out of touch that's making that kind of decision, right? Absolutely. And so all of that has to be addressed right now. And I think we're finding that in many situations that is taking place. I've, I've been pretty optimistic about that. Um, some uh, some institutions are doing better than others. But well, I'm, 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 really, I'm, I'm happy to hear about your, your optimism. I really jumped on that because I am an optimistic person and would love to keep hope alive. And so um, what differences are you seeing in other movements that have taken place in times in history, which you've been very much a part of, uh, in this, what has been called an unprecedented time for social justice and social uh, and, and racial inequity? Well, first of all, I've never seen anything like this. Um, this has been so organic. I, I tell you what happened. I was asked to appear on the television in London right after George Floyd died. And when I went on the air, they had another shot in the frame of white students taking down some of these statues of uh, colonialist colonizers in, um, uh, in Britain. And we didn't organize that. I mean, normally the African-American community may reach out and ask for solidarity from other cultures around the world. We didn't even have to ask for that. This literally just happened overnight. Um, what we saw in Portland recently, when you have multi-generational, multi-racial activists out in the streets, we've not seen anything like that. Now, what does, the one thing that does make it different is that there's not um, the same level of organization. So in the past, and in the 60s and 70s, and even, um, I guess most recently during the anti-apartheid movement, I would I would mark that we've not we've not had that level of organization. I would dare say in a movement since then. Um, and so the thing I do regret is that the energy in this reckoning has not really been captured in an organizational context. But then, Gatsby, this is a this is a different moment too in terms of organization. People now think social media is organization. Hmm. They think that being on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram right. is more meaningful than being in an organization for sustained action and movement. And so we actually have more moments than movements. I regret that. But I think, again, what we're talking about, this is where um, nonprofits are organizations. And so... Wherever organizations take up a cause or uh, uh, promote an agenda that is in alignment with social justice, that's a good thing because it, it can then live on past just the moment on social media. It can live beyond that. And I would hope that uh, some of these organizations, including nonprofits, would understand 
their role in that and carry it out. It's so important to, to note that, Mark. And I think about how some nonprofits are woefully not diverse or inclusive. I preferred inclusive. Um, and even some of the nonprofits who are servicing so-called the marginalized and underprivileged, uh, you will find them with uh, all white male boards or all white boards and staff uh, composition is pretty much all white. And there has to be a reckoning there rather than just checking off boxes. Okay, we, we're gonna check off a couple of boxes. What would you recommend to them to sustain their thinking in this area of racial reckoning and racial equality? Well, the verb is literally diversify. And, and people do have to do that now. Um, and those who are in positions to hold their own nonprofits accountable should be demanding that, whether they are staff or fellow board members. Um, that has to happen because mistakes will continue to be made when you don't have people of diversity in the room. So you're gonna make a decision that is going to offend a whole group of women, be it any historically oppressed group, African-Americans, Latinos, LGBT women, if none of those four, just that's just four I'm named, mm -hmm. get into 88 Americans with disabilities, we can get into all of that. But if you don't have people like that in the room in leadership, then their causes are being neglected. Then you're just doing missionary work. You're figuring, well, I'm we, we white folks and we're here to save other people who marginalize. Again, then we're back at the place of colonization. So, um, how difficult is it for a nonprofit to say, you know, we're going to expand this board or some of you all's term is about to roll off. We might need to roll that off a little early and, and bring some diversity in there. Who are we hiring? Um, who are we consulting with? What is the public face of what we're presenting? And does it look um, diverse? Um, I think that that's what nonprofits can do and, and should be doing and should have been doing by now since yes. all started. I mean, if, if, if they're just thinking about it now, they're a little late. Yes, they are late to coming to the party. And I think there are some that will admit that readily. Others will be uh, more reluctant in admitting that. And I, I, those are really good questions that they should be asking themselves at this time if they've never asked it before. I think there's been a sort of a cavalier thinking about, oh, we can get to it, but now the time is right now. And so um, there will be missteps along the way. And, you know, we are people as Christians uh, full of grace. How do we show grace at a time when missteps will take place in this arena of equality? Mm. Well, you know, I, I, I don't know. That's tough because I think grace, um, I think grace at this moment, Gatsby, has a clock on it. <laughs> um, it's ticking. It is. And, and what we know, I mean, let's be honest with ourselves, what those of us who are the victims right now, I was talking to another big organization 
one of which you know well. I'm gonna mention his name right now. Okay. Uh, wanna, they wanted to do something, a diversity thing. We want to do a diverse, a diversity board. I said, so they said, what should we do? And I said to them, we need African-Americans. Well, what about other races? I said, well, that can come later because this is the moment that African-Americans are being assaulted right now. And that if you try to do um, a, a big rainbow thing at this moment, you know, people are going to say, well, those aren't the folks having the real issue right now. We are the ones being killed in the street. The reason I say grace has a clock on it is because, as we all know, in this short attention span, 24-hour media cycle society we live in, uh, this is going to pass. And see, this is where the cynicism comes in. The, the one cynicism I have is that many organizations are waiting to ride this out, Gatsby. They're waiting on this to kind of go away. That hurts my heart to hear. You know that. Yeah, but, but but you know it's true. We cannot allow that, though. And so those of us in significant positions have to speak up. A young woman, young African-American woman um, who works for a public radio station in St. Louis just last week wrote a whole expose on Medium about the, the challenge of diversity in that organization and some of the outright racism that goes on there. And she'd been patient, but her grace clock had run out mm -hmm. and she had laid everything out in detail. I mean, some of us are going to have to blow the whistle on organizations that are uh, resisting di diversity. And that's not ungraceful. You know, it says in scripture, let there be light. The truth shall set you free. Yes. Yes. We pray at all times with our feet. And, and I'm going to say this to, to us, to those of us who are watching and listening, knowing that the clock of reckoning is ticking, shouldn't the clock of grace also be ticking simultaneously? You can't have an infinite clock against a clock that is ticking. Mm. You've got to synchronize those clocks to be sure that the reckoning happens at the same time, the grace is is being afforded, because otherwise, you know, it, it'll it'll never happen. That is so excellent. It takes my breath away to even think about uh, the meaning of what you just said in terms of the clock ticking on grace, because I believe that uh, black people have been some of the most forgiving people on the planet, oh, yeah. and so with that, um, the grace uh, has to to tick down, there has to be a, a time limit on it. At the same time, knowing that people are coming late to the party, we are trying to navigate our allyship. I had uh, a question from uh, a guy, he said, I'm a white male, and what is the one thing you would recommend for me to do uh, to be an ally? So I answered him, but I'd like you to answer that question. And I would base that decision um, locally because, first of all, we're dealing with the police. And what I think many have to understand is that the police are governed and held accountable at a local level. So I say to everyone, I even have to say to some people who aren't white, who are black, we're not going to reform the police over Twitter. 
I'm sorry, this is not going to happen. You've got to right. engage at the local level, meaning voting, meaning attending city council meetings, meaning holding people accountable, having the courage to even say to local elected officials, if you're not reforming the police, if you're not, I know people have a problem with the word defund, but if you're not reallocating money in other spaces, we can't keep calling the police because a family member has a mental health problem, Gatsby. That's what defunding means. You put resources somewhere else. If So what one, an ally can do is be involved locally in whatever police reform movement is going on at that local level. On a national and overarching uh, level, full disclosure, I, I am right now deeply involved um, in the movement to get HR 40, the reparations bill, passed in the House of, Repar in, in the House of Representatives. So allies need to support that too. Allyship by its very definition means that it's a lifelong process to get to know a person or a people in an effort to understand and be alongside with. The True. other thing about allyship is it's not self-defined. It has to be defined by the people you're reaching out to. Amen. So therefore get to know us, understand us, be curious about us because that whole thing about colorblindness and you know, we. We hear that all the time is uh, non-existent and I hold it in disdain because that means you are not interested in getting to know me uh, and that uh, and other people like me. The last thing you were saying about allyship. Yes. Is the textbook description of really, I mean, that too was very specific and direct of what we call obviously diversity awareness and sensitivity training. And some of these organizations don't know what to do. They don't know how to steer that ship. And so they should call upon people like you and others to come in and say, this is how this is done. And this means a lifelong commitment and listening to those you want to learn from and, and being humble enough to do that. Mm -hmm. um, I think those that description you gave is something that everybody ought to get wind of. That ain't complicated, you know, because <laughs> you don't know what simple, you right? Yes. Yeah, talk to somebody who knows. If you don't know, you better ask somebody. I love Inside the Actor's Studio. Used to love to watch it, and it still is in reruns now, and it usually wrapped up with three questions uh, for the guest. So I have three questions for you. And uh, it, it really has to do with you, the Mark, the Reverend Mark Thompson, and the first question is, what makes you smile? Mm. Um, my family, my children, especially. Um, and anytime um, we are succeeding in our movement and our struggle, um, I see those successes, even the small ones, as evidence of God's presence in my life and in the lives of others. And the second question is, what's your favorite sound? Our traditional music, I would say, gospel or jazz. Um, and I love uh, a great uh, female vocalist in either genre. In fact, 
Uh, there's very little difference between the two. The, the voice and the sound um, of black women is very special to me. I know this last question is going to be pretty easy for you. And it is when all is said and done, how do you want to be remembered? Mm. Uh, as someone who uh, was selfless and who dedicated my life to the liberation of our people. And as one who faithfully has followed that mother and grandmother, even in their death and their ancestry, um, I would not be what I am or who I am if not for them taking an interest in a little boy like me. And as a single parent myself now, and they were my single parents, um, I've tried to invoke their presence as often as possible to see to it that my son and daughter uh, follow in their footsteps and in the footsteps of uh, great, our great heroes and heroes of history. So that's enough. If you all stand over to me and just say that about McGasby, hmm. I'll be, I'll be fine. <laughs> all right. I can't thank you enough, Mark. You're such an incredible human being. Thank you for all that you have done to advance a better and higher understanding of who we can be, both as Americans, as human beings on this planet, and how we should be interacting with one another. So I thank you once again, and uh, blessings to you. Mark, once again, you've made it plain. And thank you so much for your insight and your wisdom in giving us a better perspective on racial reckoning at this very, very important time in our history.